I'm Meg Dahl, your unbreakable host. Welcome to the show. bugs and welcome back to a brand new episode of the unbreakable you podcast meg here as always and we have such a great episode for you this week i get to sit down with my as you will find out my soul sister michelle shapiro so michelle is a registered dietitian specializing in anxiety and gut health. So two things that I think you all are going to be really excited to hear about. We talk about the gut-brain connection and how that also plays a role in like this cycle with anxiety. So really it's this gut-brain anxiety cycle, which is why I titled the episode in the way that I did. You hear a lot about the gut-brain connection, but the work that Michelle is doing in the area of anxiety and how she helps her clients makes me so happy because as you all know, I also work with a lot of women and helping them reshape their relationship to their emotions. So I really loved jamming out on gut health and brain health and anxiety with Michelle, but we did not stop there. We also talked about body image and body neutrality. So I'm really excited for you all to listen to this week's episode with Michelle. You are just gonna love her. She's definitely one of my favorites. But before we actually jump into the episode, I do have a few things to let you know about the episode. So just a heads up, there is a trigger warning. I wanted to let you know about it before we actually dove into the show. There is some specific numbers thrown around for like calories when we're talking about calories. There are some specific numbers used. So if you find that kind of conversation triggering, this definitely wouldn't be the episode for you. We don't talk a lot about numbers, but there is one part of our conversation that there are numbers included in there. So I just wanted to give you a heads up about that. And then I also, near the beginning of the episode, I say that I didn't finish my dietetic internship and I should have said that I decided not to do my dietetic internship. If you're familiar with my schooling, maybe you're not. So here I am just (laughs) giving you a little Little bit of a update or kind of not really an update, um, a flashback <laughs> from my schooling. So I did go to university. I studied dietetics. I completed my bachelor's in food and nutrition, and then I chose not to pursue a dietetic internship. I actually 
chose to study holistic nutrition instead. But I just wanted to clarify that because as I was listening back to the episode and editing it, I heard myself say that I didn't finish my internship and I was like, wait, I never actually even started an internship. So I just wanted to make that clear. And then also I say totally in this episode, so much. I don't know. I was on a totally kick (laughs) when Michelle and I recorded this episode. So forgive me. (laughs) Enjoy all of the totalies and also enjoy this show. And as always, just a reminder, if you are wanting to heal your relationship with your emotions and really change that relationship that you have with your emotions. If you experience anxiety on a daily basis and this is a focus that you are wanting support in, never hesitate to reach out to me. This is exactly what I do inside my group coaching program called Back Home to You. You can go to magdahl.com slash back home to you for all of the details there. Michelle Shapiro is also an incredible dietitian that is working with women on gut health and how that impacts their anxiety as well. I love her so much. So excited for you to listen to the show. Hey, Michelle, welcome to the show. So excited to have you on. Hey, Meg, I've never been more excited to be anywhere. I cannot wait to chat with you today. Stop it. Okay, so I just need to let everyone know that you and I have literally been chatting for almost 40 minutes before we actually hit record because this is our first time ever just hopping on Zoom, sitting down, chatting with each other outside of Instagram, like DMs and comments and stuff. And I just found another soul sister in you. Literally I'm just so sister. pumped. We were flowing. We like could have talked for 10 more hours. I'm, I'm very, very excited. And yes, we are literally soul sisters now. This is done. We already knew before, but now we like, no, no. We know, no. So a couple of fun facts. And then I'm going to share one more fun fact that Michelle doesn't even know. So Michelle and I discovered that we're both born in 91 And we are not even a month apart. So she's a cancer. I'm very close to being a cancer baby. 21 minutes away, as you all know. But here's the thing that you do not even know, Michelle. At least I don't think you you shouldn't know this about me. (laughs) My middle name is Michelle. Wait, I'm panicking. That's crazy. (laughs) Are you and my twin sister separated at birth? What is going on? But I definitely don't have like the coolness that you have. So I would have gotten the bad part of the genes. <laughs> I don't <but> understand. <laughs> you're the coolest. Wait, that's amazing that your real name is Michelle. It is. Yeah. I love it. That's What's so cool. I'm really curious. Yeah. Mine's Lynn, like the Michelin Tire Company almost, but that's not what I was named after. I don't know why Lynn, but I know Michelle's from the Beatles song, Michelle. Um, My mom's name is Lynn. No, you need to forget it. We're canceling the podcast <laughs> at this point. It's too good. That's amazing. Is it L-Y-N-N? L-Y-N-N-E. Yeah. So close. And my sister's name is Anne, A-N-N-E. Middle name is Anne. So there's like, it's it's all happening. That's amazing. Incredible. So now everyone knows random facts about you. 
Can you needed to know that my sister's middle name was Anne before we ever started this podcast? I know. Oh my gosh, this is already my favorite podcast episode ever. So, hello, welcome. (laughs) I want you to say hello to everyone, introduce yourself, that whole thing before we actually dive in. We have such a great conversation that we have planned today. Body neutrality, I really want to get into with you, but let everyone know who you are and, you know, yeah. Hi. Again, can't wait to be here today. So my name is Michelle Shapiro. I'm an integrative functional dietitian. I am a native New Yorker, born and raised and still living in New York, although I'm temporarily in Florida, but by the time this airs, I'll be back in New York where I'll be forever. Um, I work with clients, um, generally high performers, exactly looking to improve their relationship with food, perhaps um, losing weight in a really body neutral way, which is a kind of foreign concept, um, because usually you hear body positivity and weight loss in two opposite categories, helping people to holistically heal from anxiety and gut issues. Amazing. So I also went to school to be an RD. I didn't actually finish my internship. But I feel like every single time I talk to an RD who, you know, like a woman who decided to go to university and study dietetics, I'm always curious, like what led you there? What made you go and study dietetics? It's usually not a good answer, by the way, for most dietitians, which is why I know, right? Yes. So definitely, I'll tell you like kind of my story of what brought me to dietetics is also my health story and my, how I kind of, you know, we always say like, we kind of treat what we are. Right. So like, I of course have suffered from all the issues that I empathize the most with. And those are the ones that I really focus on with my clients. So growing up in Queens, New York, very diverse place. I actually went to the most diverse high school in the entire world, which is really, really cool. Um, I was occupying a larger body that becomes relevant, but it's also just the dopest thing ever, of course. But um, I was occupying a larger body until I was 16 or 17 years old. I had an amazing life. I was class clown of my high school. I had, you know, like, and there's 5,000 students in my high school. So it was like a, kind of the only accomplishment of my life that I'm really proud of. Kidding. Um, but a really good one. Um, and I had an amazing life. I had great grades, great friends, great family. And I kind of just decided that I was going to be in a larger body for the rest of my life. And at that time, um, I realized when I was going to college that we're in Queens, body diversity and racial diversity and diversity of thought, all those things are really celebrated in a a place like Queens. And I knew when I was going to go away to college that, and I was going to the University of Delaware, which is kind of a much more homogenous kind of place, Delaware as a state versus New York City, of course. I was like, oh, I'm going to have to like conform in some way, which, you know, felt, and I was like, the way I'm thinking I'm going to do that is maybe I'll lose weight. So I kind of made it a decision that maybe being, you know, in a larger body, wasn't my thing anymore. So I, I really dangerously and totally not recommended rapidly lost almost a hundred pounds in just a three month period of time. So I cannot tell you, this is a big trigger warning. I could not recommend this any less. And really by the time I went to college, Um, I had developed all these other health issues from that. And I really didn't put the pieces together until later on where I felt chronically ill. I had gut issues. My thyroid was messed up. I had constant panic attacks. Um, And I was in school to be a dietitian when really I was suffering from total disordered eating. And I remember watching other people eat and thinking like, huh, like 
they're kind of eating more than me and, and trying to figure that out. So what I ultimately went to be a dietitian for was to learn the weight loss secrets. That's what I wanted to do was learn weight loss secrets. And what I ended up doing was really developing a much healthier relationship with food and learning about food in, in its kind of totality and where I kind of pursued that later on to functional nutrition, which is focused on really the whole body in addition to just nutrition. So my recovery from the disordered eating, in addition to all these new chronic illnesses I had, my anxiety, my severe gut issues, really is what led me to kind of this role in this, this um, you know, business that I have now, which is treating people so that they don't have to do it the wrong way like I did, because I did everything, in my opinion, the wrong way, the drastic way. Um, and I want people to do everything in a more compassionate and gentle way. And that's really what I want to do is bring people, you know, peace along their journey and support as opposed to forcing your body into something that has this obvious kind of rebellion. But yeah, no, I, most dietitians go because they want to learn something. Often they want to help people and it's a super empathetic group of people, but a lot of times they want to learn a trick of the trade. So that was definitely why I initially went to. But it's amazing that you kind of found recovery through your studies, right? You started to learn how to actually properly nourish your body rather than like tricks for weight loss, which I love. It's like the, you, you know, you ask for what you want, but you get what you need kind of. Yeah. I, that's how I felt where I was like, oh, I'm like depriving my body of like valuable nutrients that my brain desperately needs. I wouldn't say the pieces fully came together for me until really I started working with a naturopathic physician who at first was, was a doctor of mine and then became a very dear friend and ultimately a business partner, um, Dr. Kochko. But really that's when I started to take a step back and realize how intricately linked my anxiety, my gut issues, and my relationship with food really were all together and addressing, of course, the underlying trauma and all of those other things really pulled everything yeah. together for me. So it was, it was part my studies and then part just going through that journey myself, which I don't think is necessary for a practitioner to feel empathy at all, but it definitely added to my understanding of what someone would feel like who's having panic attacks every day, um, which is a unique and particularly unpleasant experience. So um, definitely the combination of the studies and pulling together my own experience really made that clear picture for me. Yeah. Okay. So I know I really do want to dive into the body image aspect of things, but I really don't think we can move on from your story without talking about anxiety and how that relates to the gut and vice versa. And I know this is like, Literally, we could make this so many multiple podcast episodes, like a series, well, because there's a lot of information there. But the reason I bring it up is because I share my story often about having eating disorders and around the same time, like leading up to when I was first ever diagnosed with an eating disorder, I was experiencing a lot of gut issues and it's just inter like, I mean, I know the connections and stuff like that, but I would love for you to perhaps explain those connections to the gut and our mood, such as anxiety. Absolutely. Um, thank you for sharing your story, by the way, too. And, I, and I've heard it, but I always like to hear it. So thank you. And absolutely. So our brain and our gut are intricately related and any sort of threat to either of them will trigger a response in both of them. 
So what ended up happening, I think in, in kind of my story was, first of all, when you have disordered eating, the likelihood that you're going to eat an imbalance of nutrients and create nutrient deficiencies is obviously much higher. For me, my way of kind of hacking a system was to compulsively overeat vegetables, which I think that also absolutely in and of itself did damage to my gut. Part of my restriction was also being vegan and I was vegan for over 10 years. And part of being vegan, which I absolutely do not recommend um, unless you love animals. And that's the reason why for health reasons, it's really, really hard restrictive protocol. Um, part of that was me eating all what I thought was really healthy was a lot of whole grains. So I was eating a lot of gluten and a lot of other foods that I think ultimately probably my body was maybe more susceptible to not being, um, received well. Um, and that really pushed my gut over the edge, which kind of then led to me having these stomach problems and ultimately having anxiety about having those stomach problems. And then also obviously not obviously your gut helps you to create healthy brain hormones. And actually 90% of serotonin is created by your gut, right? So anytime you have any sort of gut imbalance, you're leaving yourself vulnerable to having brain imbalance too. So it's kind of like the emergency signal can start in your gut or can start in your brain. And then it's that negative feedback loop. Also what ends up happening, and that's called the gut brain axis, that kind of relationship between the two of them. And they communicate through the vagus nerve. And I think what also can happen with people is that, um, just the actual fact of having nutrient deficiencies sets off this really strict, really strong, um, emergency signal in your body because our bodies are primed like cave women. So they're like, Oh my God, I'm not getting enough food. I'm, I'm going to die. And all these things that are pretty rational and our body's protecting us from, and that in and of itself can send that kind of stress signal to your brain, which can also send that stress signal to your gut. Because like the cave woman, we were, we would need to be in a ready in an emergency situation, um, and activating either our digestion to rest or digest or run and move quicker, um, depending on the situation. So if you're constantly, you know, activating your parasympathetic nervous system or needing to, because you're activating your sympathetic nervous system, that's also going to impact your gut. So more stress can lead to gut issues. More gut issues can lead to more stress and get into this rapid cycle that goes around and around of depletion sympathetic nervous system activation, and then the resultant effects of that. Totally. Yes. And it is such a cycle, right? I talk to so many women who are dealing with anxiety. Like I'll post about having anxiety or fears around food in my Instagram stories and have conversations with these women about having anxieties or fears around food because of how their body responds to these foods and specifically like their gut, right? I can't eat X, Y, Z because my gut doesn't tolerate it. And now I'm anxious because of it. And it's such a vicious cycle. So how did you personally find your way kind of out of that? I know it's probably a longer story, but what were kind of those first steps for you? Yeah. And I, you're absolutely right. And I just want to also acknowledge the thinking about this kind of like gut anxiety as, as it's a really weird balance because if someone's working on their anxiety, right, they might also be taking medication or something like that, which can impact their gut. So it's kind of like a papa weasel and I'm doing my hands going up and down. We're like, work on your digestive issues. Okay. You eat a low FODMAP diet. 
but then you end up feeling like, you know, you get low blood sugar because you cut so many foods out. So it kind of becomes this like cycle and low blood sugar causes anxiety of you're trying to suppress one issue when in reality, there's kind of a whole way to, to kind of pierce that cycle for all of them. But I know that struggle of just like trying to do one thing, but then the other part of your body seems to react negatively. So I think for a lot of these women who I totally and completely empathize with who are messaging you, it's like, all right, I tried this food strategy. And, and really there's nothing scarier than having to like run to the bathroom when you're in a public place or something. So, you know, like the IBS warriors, like know where every single freaking bathroom is everywhere they go, of course. And it's a very rational fear, but the issue is when we are afraid of food, whether from a mental or physical perspective, it's very damaging to our whole body because being afraid of something that's necessary for survival sends our body a really wacky signal. So it's kind of this this total uh, cycle that we really want to penetrate. So for me, I think once I started realizing that in my Papa Weasel kind of scenario, when one thing comes up, my panic attacks had gotten so severe that I was losing sight of my personality. And it, it made my life really unbearable, to be honest with you. I'm having panic attacks nearly daily. Coming from being this extroverted person who was highly social, again, class clown in my high school, let me just tell you guys just one more time, Meg. Okay. Um, and then ultimately being this kind of like hermit crab, I couldn't leave the house. I had such severe agoraphobia that overrode my wanting to keep my weight down. So that really set the precedent for me where I was like, I set precedence for me where I was like, I need to handle this issue first because it became like so unbearable to go through my life on a daily basis. So I, at the time decided just like I did in high school where I was like, you know, I have all these things, but I'm going to accept that I'm in a larger body. And then I was like, well, does that really have to be something I accept? Or like, does being in a larger body have to be my thing? You know, I was like the, the over, like people would say like, oh, she's like big, but funny, like that kind of rhetoric. And I was like, can I shed that? Is that possible? And I kind of had this other vision where I was like, does anxiety have to be my thing? Does being overweight have to be my thing? Does, and I'm going to put overweight in quotes, um, because you guys can't see me, but does occupying a larger body have to be a big, my thing does. And I, and I was kind of navigating that. I'm like, are these my things? So I had this another, I was like, no, anxiety is not going to be my thing. I never had anxiety before this. No way. So I was going to figure it out. So basically what I did was I developed this kind of what I now call my battle plan. And I basically said, how do I target anxiety? So I read as many books as I could. I was like, here's a physiological way. Here's a psych psychological way. He's a physical, spiritual, mental way. And I basically exercise movement, breath work. And I listed like every single modality that could possibly exist. And I'm like, I'm going to throw some stuff on the wall and see what sticks. And then that pretty much took me like 80% of the way there. But it was that moment where I decided anxiety is not going to be my thing anymore that I actually set myself into a different direction. So if you are suffering from panic attacks or anxiety, I also want anyone listening to understand that that is not your identity. It is not who you are as a person. It is something you're experiencing, but that it's also a cry from your body begging you to pay attention to something. So I decided, let me just throw anything I can at it. And then ultimately what I need to do was find out what's really going on, which was these nutrient deficiencies and all these other things, um, which is where I really went to the finish line, so to speak. But I'd say like, if you're, if you're asking me what set me on a different thing, it was that I decided that I was going to... Uh, <laughs> Your test, that I was going to go in a different direction. It was just a decision, honestly. 
Girl, you are speaking my language. And no, like, this is why I love you so much, because you get it right? Like we, we decide things. And like, when you use that specific word back when you first kind of started your story, like I decided like this about myself, like I wasn't going to go to school in this larger body. Right. So you made a decision and that's what I talk to my clients about all the time. We, we make these decisions throughout our life and then we carry them with us into our adulthood. And they're they tend to be, or they soon expire, right? Like they become outdated. And then we're carrying these outdated identities with us. And I just love how that was the thing that really changed the journey for you, right? Because we can do all the meditating, the spiritual stuff, and then even like the food stuff, right? We can do all that. But it's really, um, I find when we do that, more like the mental shifts and that rewiring process is usually that big shift for most of us. You're so right. And it's, it's so the lingo you use and so the mindset that you have where it's, it's, it's the action that's important, but the intention behind the action is always more important. And it's a really about, and with anxiety, anxiety is a really creepy thing because it can totally make you have this existential crises about who you are as a person. The conventional model of anxiety is that you manage it. I don't believe that we should manage anxiety though. I wanted to obliterate it. I was like, I'm going to reverse this. I'm not going to manage this. If I didn't have it before, I don't just claim that that's who I am and what my identity is, right? We know what our identities are when we're young and we actually lose sight of what our identities are. So it's really having the foresight to say, I actually believe that in the future at some point I could live a life without anxiety. And that's what I decided. I said, I, I just, I'm, I'm making a decision that I'm not going to be an anxious manifestation of who I am anymore. And I'm not going to live like this anymore, but it's a lot easier said than done. And I'm not saying that like, you know, Oh, I, I was so brave and anything like that. It's that my life had become really unlivable and honestly, for a lot of people, anxiety is the trickiest and like I said, creepiest, like it's so catty because it really makes you believe that it's who you are as a person. And it really makes you feel like you can't see your way out of it. So I just, I feel that anyone who has anxiety has hope for creating that future vision of themselves and pursuing it. And I just want anyone listening to understand that you are not your anxiety as a person and you can make the decision to reverse it. And I truly believe that. And I know that because I see it with my clients all the time and you see it with your clients all the time. Yes, yes. And also what makes it so challenging too, I find is like we often get anxious about being anxious, which is just oh, like yeah. this whole double whammy. Pets or fear? Fear. That's why I really, and I actually just gave a talk um, recently where we were talking about how when a panic attack comes, you kind of lean in, right? And the more that you accept and surrender, the quicker it goes away. And, and by the end of the talk, one of the um, ladies in the group said, oh my gosh, I can't wait to have my next panic attack so I could try this out. And I was like, yes, the more that you kind of ask for it and surrender into it, like the quicker it goes away. But anxiety, our natural impulse is to go, oh, you know, go away anxiety. I don't want you here. When really we should be inviting it in to sit at the dinner table with us. Yeah. Oh my gosh. A hundred percent. My approach too. I love this so much. Okay. So 
you talked about surrendering and I you used the word compassion before and I really want to make sure that we talk about kind of like your journey with your body as well as the anxiety piece so we kind of have an idea of what life was like for you like you said it was very unbearable living with this anxiety and then we kind of have a little bit of a picture of what changed the game for you there but what about the body aspect of things because it sounds like when you went into university and started studying dietetics you probably didn't have the best relationship with your body if you're looking for these quick fixes on how to lose weight or like those secrets that apparently RDs have, right? And then you kind of left your studies with this new relationship with food. And I really do believe that when our relationship with food changes, our relationship with our body also changes. So what was that experience for you like? Yeah, absolutely. So I didn't learn the secrets of weight loss. You're right. I learned some other stuff. So when I went to school, um, I was actually even starting in, in high school, I couldn't go to restaurants because I already was so scared. They were adding extra calories to things. I was counting calories meticulously. I think at one point I was eating 304 trigger warning, 300 and 400 calories a day. At most, I have all these journals that I kept to remind myself what I should never go back to. Um, I was, you know, and like I said, and like you are too, like when we say we're going to do something, we really do it. So I was like, you know, at the time, like this is like 10 years ago, we're talking about, right? So the information we had was like calories in, calories out. That's like what we knew about weight loss. It was Weight Watchers and like calories in, calories out. So going in, it was like, how can I eat as little as possible and not pass out was kind of like the, the goal. And then I started to just enjoy life more with like my friends. And I, I actually distinctly remember a dietitian who um, is still a friend of mine. We were working over the summer, freshman year. And I was eating like just sauteed mushrooms, which like, I can't even eat now because it's like, it was such a safe food thing. And she was eating like an entire plate of food. And I just remember kind of reflecting and looking at what she was eating and thinking like, huh, like that's five times more than the food. And she's beautiful and really healthy and feels really good all the time. Like I I'm interested in that. And kind of, it was, it was a little bit of like a copycat thing that helped me too. And then in classes, when they would start to talk about menu planning and meal planning for people, and we're talking about, you know, 2000 calories a day and, and, you know, calculating it for your height. And I started doing those calorie counts on myself because you do them as part of the dietetic schooling. And I was like, Ooh, I'm eating like way too little. And then I would slowly and gradually kind of introduce more things. The really hard part of losing a drastic amount of weight is that I kind of, in the way that I did besides everything and the damage does your body. But when I was in high school, I had this, again, this really rich social life, but I really, and I dated very little. And I'm sure that my my like high school people I dated would be like, Hey, you're forgetting about me when I say this, but I dated very little in high school. And like the opportunity to like really fall in love and all of those things is, well, it definitely was 10 years ago, um, a different schema and you feel really differently going into it. Um, you don't have to, but I certainly did. So it was really weird going to college in a large, in a not, not no longer in a larger body and people giving me all this attention on my body. And that felt really uncomfortable and really weird because some of the people who I had like crushes on in high school were then later on, like giving me attention. And I was like, Oh, you like completely 
did not have that interest in me before. So there's, I got so much positive societal feedback for my weight loss that it really, and it put me in this kind of like different category of visibility, which is so disturbing to me thinking about it, you know, and, and thinking about what other people go through and how we're all so freaking human and we should never feel less than for anything as silly as, you know, the shape of our bodies or anything like that. And, but I, I, it's true. And, and really that would have perpetuated so much of my disordered eating and my body relationship because it was so validating. I could have these experiences. Friends treated me differently. You know, new friends looked at me totally differently than they would have. They made comments about other people's weight, not knowing about mine and things like that. It was, which I hated, but it, that would have propelled me into really a, a really strong, you know, disordered sense of eating, if not for, you know, watching and mimicking my friends who were dietitians. Um, and except for, I will also say, I did have other friends who were dietitians who had a lot of disordered eating too. So, you know, mimicking kind of those behaviors and saying, huh, but I, I will say that that stark contrast, you know, going from being sort of invisible in a dating realm. And again, I can't speak to everyone else's experience and I really wish it wasn't like that, but it really was tangibly, um, which is where I get into a weird place with some dietitians who are small bodied, body positive dietitians, because accepting yourself in a larger body is different than accepting yourself in a smaller body because there's a huge societal aspect to it that really needs to be addressed. So long story short is that ultimately was able to change some of those behaviors, mimicking others, but I did have a really strong pull back constantly to wanting to keep in that disordered eating because I got so much positive reinforcement for it constantly. Totally. And that's like, you know, I have so many conversations with many different women and about their eating disorder past or disordered eating past. And that's where they get stuck and kind of pulled down into a vicious battle with an eating disorder because of that positive feedback, right? So it's amazing that you were able to, I like that kind of like copycat, okay, I see her plate and mine's like nowhere near as full. But I resonate with that too. I had a few aha moments like that. Um, Yeah, like throughout my journey too, just realizing that, oh, I thought I was eating a lot of food. But, you know, when I see so and so eating, they're eating more than me. And I think those moments are really cool, right? So that's why I do like posting. Um, it's so weird posting about food on Instagram, I find, because there's a lot like it's like this land for comparison, right? And well, so many people yeah. can just start comparing and all that stuff. But like you and I have experienced when we saw people eating more than us, it was either like this wake up call or an aha moment or just like a big permission slip to be like, oh, so and so eats a lot more food than me. So maybe I should be eating more food. So I find it like this tricky space on Instagram to post what I'm eating or not. But sometimes I'm like, I just, I feel like I need to post this just in case someone needs that like reminder to fill their freaking plate. Absolutely. And I think also you make it beautiful too, which helps. But I think that definitely people, it, if people are going to compare 
themselves, you can't really stop that. But I think continuously normalizing eating a sturdy amount of nutritious, wonderful foods is tremendously helpful. I'll also say that, you know, college led to a really supportive atmosphere from some lifelong friends. Like I didn't like love college, even though like I was really social and had, you know, a great program, but I made like some lifelong friends that made it so, so worthwhile. I I probably should have just stayed in New York. Like I wasn't ready to leave New York in any way and ran right back after. But I realized that having that really supportive, compassionate um, place to land definitely helped me too. Whether they were consciously, you know, knowledgeable about my disordered eating or anything like that, just knowing that there was softness around me, I think really made me able to just feel safe enough to eat more um, and safe enough to really be myself. Yeah, totally. So one thing that I love about you, and you kind of highlighted this is you do have that experience um, of someone that has been in a larger body before and gone through the weight loss and received those comments, you've kind of like been through that journey, right? So I do think that's so important as a dietitian. So you can help your clients no matter where they are in their journey. So for body neutrality. What is that? Let's talk about it. What does that even mean for the people that don't know? I love that. So yes, and thank you for saying that. And so body positivity, we've heard of many, many times before. I really practice a, a kind of form of body positivity or a little bit different, which is body neutrality, which is really about your body being something that isn't at the core of your identity and really just still radical acceptance. Absolutely. But instead of really self-promotion, it's a lot more about self-acceptance, I think, um, or, or radical self-love. It's more radical, just self. It is, it's more of just, it is. Um, and I think in the space of body neutrality where I live, at least, um, I also do, which is a pretty drastic assumption. I do believe that it is possible to pursue health with a side effect of body changes and that that can be done in a safe and healthy way. That is not generally the rhetoric of more militant body positive people, but somewhere where, where I live in the space of body neutrality is that since we are more than just our bodies and our bodies are just a piece of the puzzle that I think putting the other pieces of the puzzle together and finding that can actually result in some other body changes that can be happy side effects. So really body neutrality is the fact that you are more than just your body. And I think really leaning into acceptance over um, getting into the space of being, you know, which of course body positivity is correct um, in theory. I think body neutrality is more um, tangible in practice, if that makes sense. Yeah, I feel like when I stumbled across and I'm not sure if you have a story of when you realized body neutrality was like this thing that maybe you had never heard of up until that point but for me it was actually when I was going through my HA recovery journey a couple years ago and I realized that you know my body like I was like 30 to 40 pounds heavier than I had ever been in my entire life and I remember looking at myself in the mirror and thinking like, huh, you know, like I'm just, I'm okay. You know, like I wasn't like in love with how I looked, but I also didn't want to just like 
you know, break the mirror and run away type thing. And it was really like this cool experience for me to realize that, wow, I actually don't have to hate my body, but I also don't have to be super in love with the way I look either. And I love that, you know, you also like that's where how you help women. Like you come from that place of being body neutral. I really love that. Absolutely. And, and you're totally right. It's, it's not, and I don't think all body positivity that exists is like toxic positivity by any means. Um, it's about loving yourself for things outside of your body is really where neutrality is. There's a like physics wise, when there's force, there's an opposing force, right? So in general, when I hear even positivity, I think of there's an opposing force of negativity. I always like to approach everything with neutrality because I also think that's really meeting people where they're at. And like, let's be very real about something. There are societal implications of occupying a larger body. People are less likely to get jobs. They're less likely to, you know, find successful, you know, the other things and and maybe partners, which is beyond ridiculous and unfair. But to dismiss that, I think is a disservice to the people who are actually going through it. So do I think people can live as happy and fulfilling lives in literally anybody, 1000%. Do I think society is fully caught up to that idea? No. And I think that really needs to be acknowledged, which is where the body neutrality is, which I think is a place where you can also acknowledge where people are at and be completely compassionate for where they want to go. Because I really don't think weight loss is inherently evil if you are, if it's something that you feel can improve your health, insulin sensitivity, um, if you want to, you know, if you have knee pain or something like that, and there's something that you feel like, like by targeting your overall health and having a side effect of weight loss could potentially improve your health. I don't think there's anything inherently evil or wrong or damaging about that, which is in a lot of kind of more militant body positive groups, they do feel that that is inherently damaging. So I believe weight loss is neutral. I believe it is neither good nor bad. It just is. And I believe our bodies both are, are that too. And there are definitely beautiful things about our bodies and all of our bodies are beautiful in innumerable ways, but the existence and shape of our body is just as is it's neutral. It is. Uh, Yeah. Totally. And with the weight loss thing, right? I'm sure for you, it really matters or comes down to maybe like why, like the intention behind moving forward with that. Um, right. Or kind of share your approach with that. 100,000%. Exactly right. Yeah. If it's, if you're losing weight to punish yourself and I always, and I know this is like, so in your language too, and, and definitely any of your clients are like, Meg told me that before I know it, but that, it depends on if you're making a fear-based or a love-based decision. Like if you're doing something that out of fear and punishment for yourself, or if you're doing something to pursue, you know, your greater purpose, greater connection and alignment with yourself and doing something out of love there's, it's really depends on kind of what you're doing. So instead of really using this phrase intuitive eating, I say, I like intentional eating. So it's foods that you're like, which I'm sure you've used too, by the way, um, foods that you're choosing. Yeah, exactly. That you're choosing that intentionally serve you purpose, by the way, a food tasting good serves you purpose too. So there's, there's innumerable ways which food can serve you, but aligning with, you know, kind of which foods are going to make you feel good mentally, spiritually, and physically. I'll also say that I work with people with pretty severe gut issues. So they can't actually kind of like all foods fit. They really can't do that. And I think that feels exclusionary 
when they hear phrases like that. So I, you know, it's like what actually fits for you. And I think becoming more individualized instead of saying like, just try and eat anything and every food is good and equal. I, they, they aren't in our digestion. And I think that for my clients, it could be so much discomfort or not. And navigating through that um, can be really distressing when you're also trying to pursue an intuitive eating journey. So that's another Papa weasel, intuitive eating gut issues. It's like one goes down, one goes up. So yeah. Gosh, like intuitive eating. I freaking love talking about intentional eating. And I, I'm, I know I didn't come up with it, but I thought I did like a couple summers ago. I'll because give you full credit. I'm sure when, you came up with it. When I was it. going, well, I know like Laura reposted my intentional eating post. I remember I- um, I honestly probably got it from her. So I'm 100% giving you credit for it. Okay, well, we'll just say that. But I came up with it because when I was going through- HA recovery, I I think we, so many women who pursue HA recovery need to let go of those food rules and all of the muck that they are trapped in, right? But then it's like, okay, what's the other option? We often think that it's just intuitive eating. But if you have this goal of getting your period back, for an example, you can't really like intuitively eat your way there you have to be more intentional about things, right? And Absolutely. so that's really where I came in because it's like, well, when I wake up in the mornings, am I always hungry within like those first 30 minutes? No, but I'm going to be intentional about eating then because I know that's going to be supportive for this end goal that I have for myself. So Absolutely. that's yeah, that you brought up you intentional eating. Yeah. You freaking own it. It's your phrase. I'm just, I'm a copycat. I'm telling you, I was copycatting my friend in college. I'm copycatting you. That's, that's what it is. It's, it's so true. And it's, uh, if you, if you view it from the lens of intuitive eating, and I'll also say this, if I have clients who do have insulin resistance issues, if they, if they do have, you know, any kind of, uh, metabolic issue, like foods are not in our, don't go into our body the same way. And it, it does feel even more restrictive to say you it's weird to say but it's like the too much openness can also cause confusion and distraction and discomfort and sometimes streamlining and just saying here's what might work really well for you let's actually see how you feel is kind of the best way to do it but that's the intentional eating process that you trademark copyrighted and created is is that is what intentional that's what intentional eating is though is really seeing what first of all the not to be corny but the intention behind eating right if, what is the serving what part of me but also it's okay to go against what your instinct is that's that's absolutely um okay and it's not foods as being the same because they are they are all colorfully different oh my gosh i could talk to you forever and i know we'll have more episodes together in the future and you and i have already just talked about having like regular zoom chats that won't be recorded. Sorry, ladies, but I do have another question for you that I ask all of my guests. And that is what does it mean to you to be unbreakable? Oh, I love this question. I love when I hear you ask it too. What does it mean to be unbreakable? What it means to be unbreakable means that you are in total alignment with yourself. And it means that no one else's opinions of you influence your own opinion of yourself. 
that's what it means to be unbreakable in every area of life. See, we're twins. <laughs> yeah. We're freaking twins. We're By so the way, twins. I just want to say for everyone listening, you have made it to the best podcast in the world because Meg, you're so freaking amazing. And if you're listening, you guys are already smarter than me because you're like, have absorbed all of Meg's podcasts probably. Just, and I've only listened to a lot of them and not all of them. And I'm obsessed with you. That's what I I'm just saying. like, this girl's the sweetest. So where can we find you on social media? Everyone wants to like go hop over on Instagram and just also be your best friend too. You're all my best friends. You're my sister. Um, my Instagram is Michelle Shapiro RD. It's, it's my name, same as my website, same as my email address any any way you need me it's michelle shapiro rd and again meg i'm so privileged to have chatted with you today i can't wait for you to come to new york i'm coming to canada we have big plans she's watching degrassi we have like a lot going on (laughs) this is gonna be so much fun oh thank you so much for coming on hun 